faced the giant Goliath and taught us that our size, our weapons, and our limitations don't matter because God fights battles for people who trust Him. Each one of us has a giant called hurt in our lives that we need to confront and fight. This message is the first in the series, Gigantic. The message is entitled, A Giant Called Pain, Part 1. Here is Pastor Dalo Shields. You can grab your Bibles if you'd like to go ahead and turn to 1 Samuel chapter 17 as I sort of lay out the foundation for this series for us, and then we'll dive into the message today called A Giant uh, Called Pain. In this series, we're going to talk about giants in your life. In the Old Testament book, there's a classic story of a young man who fought a giant. It's the story of David and Goliath. And this story takes place when Israel was undergoing one of its battle times with a group of folks called the Philistines. They're actually their nemesis, the group that always was attacking Israel. And so this is another one of those occasions when the Philistines had come against Israel to attack them. And let me read for you the story as it's unfolding here in 1 Samuel chapter 17, and we'll start in verse number 4 and go down through verse number 9. Then Goliath, a Philistine champion from Gath, came out of the Philistine ranks to face the forces of Israel. He was over nine feet tall. Now, that's a big guy, all right? He wore a bronze helmet, and his bronze coat of mail weighed 125 pounds. Can you imagine wearing a coat that weighs 125 pounds? He also wore bronze leg armor, and he carried a bronze javelin on his shoulder. The shaft of his spear was as heavy and thick as a weaver's beam, tipped with an iron spearhead that weighed 15 pounds. His armor-bearer walked ahead of him carrying a shield. Goliath stood and shouted a taunt against, uh, across to the Israelites. Why are you all coming out to fight, he called. I am the Philistine champion, but you're, the on you're only the servants of Saul. Choose one man to come down here and fight me. If he kills me, then we will be your slaves, but if I kill him, you will be our slaves." Let's see what's happening here. Here are the Philistines, as I said, coming against Israel, but it's not the classic battle. It's not warfare in terms of two armies against each other. It's now focused in on a champion, a Goliath giant. And the giant says, here's how we're going to handle this particular battle. You send one guy out to fight me, and whoever wins the battle will end up being subject to, or those folks will be subject to that, that side of the army, that side of the, of the nation. If, it's, if, if I win, then the Israelites will be our slaves, and if you win, Israel, then the Philistines will be your slave. And so here's Goliath, and he comes out day after day, the Bible says. In fact, for 40 days, he comes out and taunts the armies of Israel. And, of course, the Israelite army, the soldiers would come out in the morning to try to sort of, uh, sort of gather up some strength to fight Goliath. And they would end up running back in fear. And so day after day, they're dealing with this paralyzation, the sense that there was nothing they could do to fight Goliath. They could not overcome him. And so try as they might, they didn't have the strength, didn't have the courage, didn't have the ability to rise up and do anything about their situation. So here is a giant that's controlling an entire group of folks, in fact, controlling the nation of God. And recently, as I was looking at this particular story, actually thinking about it in my own heart and mind, I was really brought to the attention of the fact that this story, this picture of Israel being sort of paralyzed by Goliath is very close to home for many of us. Because if we could see into the hearts and minds of folks in this room this morning, and if you would really be honest about yourself, I would imagine that all of us here have some giants that we're dealing with in our life, people that are things that come against us day after day and maybe week after week, for some of us even decades after decades, that have really intimidated us, things that we can't get past, these things that loom over our lives and tell us that we'll never be able to defeat them. 
Again, it might be a habit pattern in your life. It might be an addiction that you're dealing with. It might be something in a relationship. But it's a giant that is controlling your life. And the beautiful thing about this story is that this giant, Goliath, although he was intimidating Israel's army for 40 days, eventually God brought a young man along. And the young man's name was David. And David rose up and conquered the the giant. And David is a picture in the Old Testament of Jesus Christ in the New Testament. And just as David came along and and slew Goliath, there is one who has come, Jesus, who's come to actually slay the giants in your life. He's the one to help you overcome those things that you never thought you would be able to overcome. And for the next few weeks, we're going to be talking about this whole idea, gigantic, dealing with giants in our lives. And there are a number of different giants we'll be looking at. However, for this one month, As I was studying and preparing this week and thinking about where we were in this series and what God was saying to me about what we needed to focus on, I came to one particular word. It's the word pain. And actually for four weeks, for the next four weeks, I'm going to talk about how to overcome the giant called pain. And then, of course, we'll have the Easter weekend. Let me encourage you again, make sure that you're here for the thorn. That's going to be an amazing presentation. Use these uh, uh, invitations to invite folks. Get your tickets right away. They're free. And we want to pack out the house again this year for Easter. And then after Easter, we'll pick up the gigantic series again. We'll talk about things like worry and, and fear and dealing with those kinds of things in our life. But I want to focus for four weeks on the topic of pain. Because I would imagine that uh, maybe many of you have never actually heard a message dealing with pain in your life and how do you deal with it, how do you conquer the giant called pain. And so I want us to focus our attention on that beginning today and for four weeks we'll be doing so. So stay with me for these entire four weeks together. I want to share with you today one thing only, one basic principle. How do you get started in conquering the giant called pain in your life? The first thing you have to do is name your pain. You have to know the name of your pain. You can't deal with pain until you are able to call it what it is. Give it a name. Let me talk briefly about pain just for a moment. When you go to the doctor and maybe you're you're hurting somewhere and you go in and report to the doctor on a sick visit there, I'm, I'm not feeling so well, the doctor's response usually will be, well, where is the pain? Where are you hurting? And if you point to your stomach, then chances are you're going to end up on the top of that table laying down and the doctor's going to press around on your stomach a bit or wherever your pain might be, they're going to investigate because pain is symptomatic of something potentially going on underneath the surface. Pain is symptomatic of a problem in your life. And I'm glad that we live in a world today that is, that is pain management sensitive. See, about 100 years ago, if you had pain, you just suffered through it. In fact, you remember the stories from the Civil War, and if you had uh, an injury on the Civil War, they handed you a bullet to bite while they chopped your arm off. Not much pain medication, but I'm glad that we live in a world where there's a sense of we care about people's pain, and we have pain pills. Some of you are thankful for Tylenol and Advil and Motrin, amen? That when you get a headache, thank God you can go to the medicine chest, you can pull out a couple of Motrin, a couple of Advil, and take them, and you're feeling better. It helps you to relieve that pain. And so pain is something that we try to deal with in our world. We try to manage it. In fact, there are actual pain management clinics that exist and pain therapists that help us to deal with pain in our lives. And let's talk about what pain is. 
Pain in your life, physically or otherwise, can first of all be chronic. It's something that you can deal with over a period of time. And maybe there's some of you here that you have some chronic pain in your life that every day when you wake up, you feel that same pain. You go to bed at night, it's still there. It's chronically a part of your life. And then pain can be acute. It can come from time to time and can peak in your life and then sort of go away. It can flare up again and then recede, if you will. And so pain is chronic. It's acute. It, it's also, it also varies in intensity. If you've ever gone to the emergency room hurting somewhere in your body or some kind of injury, uh, what will happen is you'll go through triage, and the triage nurse will probably ask you a question like this. On a scale of 1 to 10, how bad is your pain? Anybody ever had that question offered to you? Now, I tell you, I find that question very difficult to deal with because I'm thinking, you know what? If I say a 3 or a 4, I'm probably not going to get any help. But if I say 9 or 10, I'm probably lying because I've watched my wife go through labor. It doesn't feel like that, okay? So where do I get? And so I'm like, oh, I don't know. I don't want to lie, but I want some help, right? So, okay, uh, 6.2, okay, that's where it is, okay? And so you try to put it on some kind of scale of what you're feeling. And so because it has levels of intensity, it impacts your life when you have either chronic or acute pain. It makes a difference in how you live your life, the kind of quality of life that you have, the activities you're able to engage in. But I want you to also understand something about pain. It comes in lots of different forms. See, as I'm talking right now, most of you are thinking about physical pain in your life, and it's true that we do battle with physical pains. But there's pain, there are pains that are worse than physical Pains that happen to us mentally and emotionally and psychologically. And maybe there's been a time in your life when you've gone through some very intense mental pain or some emotional pain that you suffered through. And I'll call that for the sake of this series, soul pain. See, inside of all of us, we have a soul. And your soul is your personhood, your personality. It's who you really are on the inside. And your soul, according to theologians, as we try to study the Bible and understand what the Scripture refers to when it talks about our soul, it primarily refers to your mind, your will, and your emotions. That is, what you think, how you make decisions, and how you go about living life emotionally. That is, in the way that you feel in the realm of your heart, the inner being of your life. And many of us here today are going through places of life right now where we have what, again, I would call soul pain. You're hurting in your heart. Why? Because sometimes your, your soul gets damaged in life. As you go through life, there are things that happen to us and situations that occur in our life that hurt us on the inside. And while we may feel just fine on the outside and feel like our bodies are doing well, our souls are really, really hurting. And soul pain always affects you in some way. And next weekend, I'm going to talk to you about how soul pain affects your life. And so I really want you to be here as we talk about that. But today, I want us to understand how soul pain happens. Where does it come from? Because if you don't know where it comes from, and if you can't name your soul pain, you'll never be able to deal with it. And soul pain comes from three primary experiences in life. Three primary things will cause you to hurt on the inside, in your mind, your emotions, that is your decision-making processes and what you feel, your soul. And these three areas can be either real or perceived. I'll explain that again in a moment, but notice those two words, real or perceived. And the first kind of thing, kind of event that happens to us that causes soul pain is something called abandonment. And abandonment is when you feel like you've been rejected or you've been left alone physically or emotionally. 
It was nurture that you needed, a nurture that you longed for that you didn't get. And it might have been a real situation where you were abandoned or it may have been something that you perceived. It wasn't real, but the perception was there that someone was abandoning you. So you can still feel soul pain even if you imagine it. You probably had those moments where you thought somebody was mad at you when they really weren't and you were feeling all miserable on the inside until you discovered the truth that they really weren't mad at you at all. And so, see, we can actually imagine things inside of ourselves that create pain for us. But sometimes there, there's real pain and there's imagined pain, but sometimes that pain is coming from feelings of abandonment, feelings like you've been rejected or unaccepted or that you're unacceptable or unwanted, you've been left alone. And in the world that we live in today, there are a lot of folks who are going through the soul pain of abandonment, especially with the disintegration of our family units. There are a lot of kids that grow up wondering, does dad love me? Does mom love me? Am I valuable? Am I worthwhile? Am I really acceptable? Or have I been abandoned, left to my own to process life? The second word that describes how we experience soul pain in life is through abuse. Sometimes we're abandoned and sometimes we can be abused, either real or perceived. And abuse is when, at least from our perspective, we've been mistreated, we've been attacked, we've been traumatized by words or attitudes or actions of someone else, and those words or attitudes or actions were unfair, they were unjust. We were treated in a way that was undeserved by us, in a way that really no human being should ever be treated. And there was some willful infliction of pain upon our lives. And again, we live in a world where there are folks who are suffering the soul pain of having experienced physical abuse or unfortunately sexual abuse and certainly emotional abuse can happen, relational abuse can transpire, all kind of abuse. Again, either real or perceived that people are going through life with this pain on the inside, either feeling abandoned rejected, pushed away, unwanted, unacceptable, unaccepted, or abuse. And the third word is the word disappointment. You and I will experience soul pain when we feel disappointed, when life turns out differently than we expected. I would, mention, I would uh, venture to say today that if I ask the question, ask you to respond to the question, I should say, of how many of you would look at your life and say, in some ways, my life has not turned out the way I expected. So most of you would say, yep, that's right. And for some of us, our life has turned out better than we expected. And we look back and say, you know what, my goodness, if I could have looked back 15, 20 years ago, I would have never expected the blessings that I have in my life right now. And so we are blessed and surprised on the positive side. And sometimes we're blessed and surprised on the negative side. Sometimes we have to deal with stuff in life that we never thought that we would have to deal with us. Sometimes it comes in the form of friendships of people who betray us or people that fail us or people that lie to us or people that push us out of their lives. Times when we don't get what we expected, we feel this disappointment, this hurt on the inside. And I would, again, venture to say that in this room this morning, that there are people right now, maybe this you can identify with this, that at this moment, you're going through either a feeling of having been abandoned in your life, and if you're really honest, you say, you know what, I hurt in this area, or somewhere, someone that's gone through some level of abuse in your life, or someone that's facing some significant feelings of disappointment. All these things bruise us and cut us on the inside. They leave us bleeding internally. We carry around with us soul pain. We may be smiling on the outside, but we're crying on the inside. I want to take you to the Bible and help you to see that this experience of soul pain is something that the Scripture talks about. It's something that we can identify with. Now, before we go into these stories I'm going to share with you, I want you to know that 
By the time we get to the end of today's message, I'm going to give you some hope. I know that right now we're sort of digging under the surface, and some of you in this moment are feeling a little bit of that pain in your own life as I'm sort of drawing out some of these concepts and ideas, but hold on because there is hope, amen? Hold on because that's not the end of the story. Just because you have some soul pain doesn't mean that's where you're going to stay for the rest of your life. But you can't deal with something you can't name. If you can't name it, you can't deal with it. And so we have to take some time to face it for what it really is. Am I dealing with abandonment? Am I dealing with abuse? Am I dealing with a sense of disappointment, whether, again, it's real or perceived? Is this something that I carry around inside of me? Let me tell you a story, in fact, read you a story about a lady in the Bible who suffered from all three of these. The story is found in 1 Samuel chapter 1. I'll begin in verse number 2, and let me read the story for you, and then we'll talk about it just for a few moments. Elkina had two wives, Hannah and Penina. Benina had children, but Hannah did not. So please notice a man named Elkina, two wives, Hannah and Penina. Each year, Elkina would travel to Shiloh to worship and sacrifice to the Lord of Heaven's armies at the tabernacle. The priest of the Lord at that time were the two sons of Eli, Hophni and Phinehas. On the days Elkina presented his sacrifice, he would give portions of the meat to Penina and each of her children. And though he loved Hannah, he would give her only one choice portion because the Lord had given her no children. So Penina would taunt Hannah and make fun of her because the Lord had kept her from having children. Year after year, would you say that phrase with me? Year after year, it was the same. Penina would taunt Hannah as they went to the tabernacle. Each time, Hannah would be reduced to tears and would not even eat. Why are you crying, Hannah? Elkina, that's her husband, would ask. Why aren't you eating? Why be downhearted just because you have no children? You have me. Isn't that better than having ten sons? That's what I call the insensitive husband. Once after a sacrificial meal at Shiloh, Hannah got up and went to pray. Eli, the priest, was sitting at his customary place beside the entrance of the tabernacle. Hannah was, notice this, in deep anguish, crying bitterly as she prayed to the Lord. Let's pick up the story now in verse number 13. Let's see the response of the priest Eli to Hannah in this moment. Seeing her lips moving but hearing no sound, he, that's the priest Eli, thought she had been drinking. Must you come here drunk, he demanded. Throw away your wine. Oh, no, sir, she replied. I haven't been drinking wine or anything stronger, but I am very discouraged, and I was pouring out my heart to the Lord. Don't think I I am a wicked woman, for I've been praying out of great anguish and sorrow. What I want you to see here is the picture of a lady who was suffering with deep soul pain. And there's some words that are used here in this story that help us to understand something about the kind of pain that she was going through. I want to pull out three phrases for you, and we'll look uh, briefly at their Hebrew origins to understand what Hannah was saying when she was trying to describe the pain that she was going through. First of all, she says, I'm in deep anguish. I'm in deep anguish. The word anguish from the Hebrew language, the original language of the Old Testament, means this. This particular word means to wail in agony. It means to be in a state of continual crying. It's when you you start crying and you can't stop crying. Maybe you've had a moment like that in your life. Something happened and you, you began to cry and you cried and you cried and you cried and you couldn't stop crying and maybe the tears stopped but the cry of your heart wouldn't stop. And, and what we see here is that Hannah is saying, I was in this situation of anguish. I started crying 
crying and I couldn't stop crying. The pain was so intense. And the Bible says that she was crying bitterly. Notice that word, bitterly. And the Hebrew word there is the word mara. And the word mara, you might recall if you go back to the book of Exodus chapter 15 and remember the children of Israel coming out of Egypt and how God led them across the Red Sea into the wilderness and they didn't have any water. And so they finally came to a place where there was some water and they tasted the water and it was poisoned water. It was bitter water. And so they named that place Mara, a place of bitterness. And so what Hannah is saying is, God, I'm in this place of bitterness of soul. I just, the thing I'm drinking from in my life right now feels poisonous to me. It is not, I feel so bitter on the inside. And then she says, I'm in great sorrow. An interesting word that's used in the Hebrew language. It refers to an overly heavy yoke. It was an agricultural term that was used to describe a yoke that was put on an animal that was too heavy for that animal to bear. It should not, the animal should not have been required to carry that much of a load. And so here is Hannah saying, God, I'm in terrible anguish. I'm crying and I can't stop crying. I feel bitter on the inside. And God, I feel like you put a burden on me that I can't bear. It's just so heavy right now. I cannot carry it. The weight is so strong. And some of you are saying, yes, that's where I have been, or maybe that's where I am. Hannah had some giant pain in her life. She had some soul pain in her life, and she was stuck in her pain. The Bible says that she couldn't get away from it. Year after year after year, she experiences this. What was she experiencing? She was experiencing abandonment. She felt she was being abandoned. She really wasn't, but she felt that God had abandoned her. She felt like that God didn't know where she was or what she was going through. And abandonment is that real feeling that we go through in life at times when we feel like God or somebody else doesn't know where we are, what we're going through, or doesn't care, they're not there for us. And Hannah felt in that moment that she was being abandoned by God. Now again, she wasn't being abandoned because if you read the story, God comes through in an incredible way for Hannah and gives her a son by the name of Samuel. That's ask of God. He answers her prayer ultimately. But in this moment, she felt like God didn't know her address. God did not know know where she was. It's a real experience that we go through at times. If you don't believe that, read the book of Psalms and you'll see David crying out, God, where are you? God, why have you forsaken me? And then he always comes back around to say, God, I know that you're there and I put my trust in you. But the point is, this was a real moment for her. Even though she, what she was perceiving was not true, her emotions were very real. And then she was being abused by Penina. This other wife in the family was pointing her finger at Hannah every day and saying, you know what, look at me, I got kids and you don't. God loves me, but he doesn't love you. And so here is Hannah thinking about this. You know what? God has blessed her, but he hasn't blessed me. Look at her life. It seems so blessed and my life seems so barren. God, where are you? Why don't you bless me the way that you've blessed her? I bet you've probably prayed a prayer like that before as well, haven't you? looked around and you saw what seemed to be blessings on someone else and the lack of what you felt like were blessings in your own life. And to add to the, to the misery here is Penina abusing her verbally day after day, year after year. And of course, we also know that Hannah had disappointed expectations. She had wanted a child and she didn't have a child and she's dealing with it. So she's going through abandonment and abuse and disappointment. Her life had not turned out the way that she had expected. She was in soul pain. But here's the good news she was able to name it. She was able to put some, some words to it. 
And this was the turning point. You'll see if you study 1 Samuel chapter 1 and going into chapter 2, you'll see that this was a turning point in her life when she came to this moment where she was able to name her anguish, name her bitterness, name her sorrow, when she's able to identify her abandonment, her abuse, and her disappointment. It was in this moment that everything began to turn around in her life. It is the beginning step for you and I addressing a giant called pain. Can you name your giant? Can you name your pain? Let me tell you another story, the story of a young man in the Bible who also had some very serious soul pain in his life. The story is found in 2 Samuel chapter 4, verse number 4. Let me read you this verse, then we'll talk about this young man. Jonathan, son of Saul, had a son who was lame in both feet. He was five years old when the news about Saul and Jonathan came from Jezreel. His nurse picked him up and fled, but as she hurried to leave, he fell and became crippled His name was Mephibosheth. Would you say his name with me? Mephibosheth. Once again together, Mephibosheth. Now, some of you said, wow, I never thought I could say that name. You got it, okay, Mephibosheth. Let me tell you what's going on. Here's another story of Israel fighting the Philistines. The Philistines' army had come against Israel, and so Saul, who was the king of Israel, goes out into battle against them, and he takes his son Jonathan with him. And on one particular day in the battle, both Saul and Jonathan are killed, very same day. When news comes back to Jonathan's household, he has a son, five years old, and when the news comes back to the nurse that is taking care of his five-year-old son, she becomes very much afraid. Well, if Jonathan, his dad, is dead, and if Saul, his granddaddy, is dead, what's going to happen to him? And so fear began to grip her heart, and out of her fear, she grabs this little boy, and she pulls him up and begins to run and flee from the situation. She's running out of fear. Let me tell you something. When you run out of fear, you always create a mess, don't you? So she runs out of fear in this situation, and as she's running away, she, she accidentally drops this little boy, and as she drops him, we don't know exactly how it happened or what the, what the circumstances were, but when she dropped him, he had an accident where both of his legs were lamed. He was crippled for the rest of his life. He could not walk, and the Bible makes a point of telling us what his name was. What was his name? Mephibosheth, Mephibosheth. But what you must understand is when you read the Bible, you must understand that the name that this young man had when he was first born was not Mephibosheth. He was given a different name when he was born. The Bible says that his original name was the name Meribel, M-E-R-I-B-B-A-A-L. And it means a contender with Baal, someone who fights false gods. Someone who is a champion against everything that is against God. And so when this little boy was born, he was called a fighter. He was called a contender. He was called someone that fights against the false gods of Israel, Meribel, an opponent of Baal. But then after this accident, the Bible makes it clear to say now his name was, what was his name? Mephibosheth. And the name Mephibosheth means this. It means a person of shame. It means that there in that moment, after he has this experience, his life goes from a fighter, a contender with Baal, to a person who is dealing with shame, a shameful thing. And so somebody labeled him at that moment and said, for the rest of your life, you're going to be nothing but a shameful thing. And maybe there's some of you that you've experienced a similar kind of labeling in your life, that when you were a kid, somebody said, you're never going to amount to anything. Look at your brother. Look at your sister. You'll never be like them. You're not as smart as they are. You're never going to make anything out of your life. And you heard words like that. Somebody put a title on you that says, you're just nothing. 
And that's what these words meant for Mephibosheth. I'm nothing. I have no value. There's no worth to my life. I've been labeled. Now I'm nothing but shame. Folks, I'll tell you, that creates a lot of soul pain inside of you. I want you to fast forward a number of years later. We don't know how many years later, but a number of years later, we go now to King David. Saul obviously is dead. David has taken the throne of Israel. And let's see what happens in chapter 9 of 2 Samuel. So David's sitting around his palace one day, and he asks a question. Is there anyone still left of the house of Saul to whom I can show kindness for Jonathan's sake? One day, David's sitting around saying, you know what? I made a promise to Jonathan. I promised him, I made a covenant with him that I would always show kindness to his house. And I just wonder, is there anybody still left in the house of of Jonathan that I can show some kindness to? Which means this, it means that David knew nothing about Mephibosheth. He had been put in a situation where David did not even know about him, isolated. And so David is asking this question. Let's see what the response is in verses 3 through 5, 2 Samuel 9. The king asked, is there no one still left of the house of Saul to whom I can show God's kindness? Ziba, that was one of the servants of the palace there, answered the king, there is still a son of Jonathan. He is crippled in both feet. Where is he? The king asked. Ziba answered, he is at the house of Maker, Maker, son of Amiel, in Lodabar. Would you say Lodabar with me? So Mephibosheth is in? Say it with me. Mephibosheth is in? One more time, Mephibosheth is in Lodabar. That's going to become very significant here in just a moment. So King David had him brought from Lodabar from the house of Machir, son of Amiel. When David begins to inquire, where where is somebody that I can bless? Where is somebody that I can fulfill this covenant promise that I made to Jonathan years ago? Is there anybody of the household of Saul and, and Jonathan left that I can bless and bring into my household? The Bible says that the servant said, yes, there's somebody that I know about. Jonathan had a son. He had a son by the name of Mephibosheth, but he's crippled in both feet. David, you wouldn't want to bless him. You wouldn't want to do anything good for him. I mean, he's, he's no good. He, he has no value to you at all. And so Ziba was trying to dismiss the possibility of doing anything from Mephibosheth. But David says, hey, tell me, where is this guy? Where does he live? And Ziba said, he's living down in a place called Lo-Debar. Lo means no. Debar means pasture. It is a place where there is no pasture land. It is a barren place. It was a place, according to Old Testament historians, where it was a completely barren area where those who were forgotten, those who were of no use, those who were no value, were sent to live in Lodabar. It was a place where nobody wanted to be. You only went there if you couldn't make it any other place. It was kind of a place for forgotten people and lost people and hurting people and broken people, and that's where Mephibosheth was living. His shame had driven him to Lodabar, a place of barrenness in his life, lack of fruitfulness, no good thing for his future, no hope at all. I will tell you that shame and pain in your life can drive you to some loaded bar places, can it? It can drive you to some places of deep barrenness in your life where you think my life will never amount to anything. I'll never produce anything of value with my life. And that's where Mephibosheth was living. Now the Bible tells us, and I don't have time to take you to the rest of the story today. You can read it on your own in 2 Samuel chapter 9. Here's the beautiful part of the story. David says to Ziba, go get him and bring him here. And so they went down to Lodabar, and they brought him to the palace of the king. And David said, Mephibosheth, you're going to eat at my table for the rest of your life. 
I'll take care of you for the rest of my, your life. And it's a beautiful story of the redemptive power of grace at work in people's lives because in a very real way, all of us are Mephibosheths, aren't we? And we need the redemptive, saving grace of Jesus. I'll tell you something, you can't get out of Lodabar by yourself. Somebody has to come and get you. And somebody came down to Lodabar and found him and brought him back and put him at the house, at the house of the king. But what are we saying today as we're, all, as we're wrapping this up together? We're saying this, you can't fight a giant that you don't know. You can't fight a giant if you don't know its name. So it's interesting that in the Bible, when David goes against Goliath, the Bible tells us that Goliath, that the giant had a name. His name was Goliath. Very specifically give us, gives us the name of the, the giant that David was fighting. And I want to ask you this morning, as we go into these four weeks together, talking about a giant called pain, can you name the pain in your life? Where is your soul pain? Are you suffering from a disability that comes out of, an emotional disability that comes out of maybe feeling abandoned and rejected and maybe it's real or perceived but you felt that in your life that just, you know, I never, never really felt nurtured like I needed to be nurtured. I felt like my life is just, I feel abandoned by people, abandoned by even maybe God. Or maybe you've gone through some, some horrible abuse, again, real or perceived in your mind. You've experienced it, and you've had this abuse that's gone on in your life. You feel like you've just, you're nothing more than just trash because of the way that you feel like you've been treated. Or maybe you're going through life with a lot of disappointments. We all have them, but maybe you, your life just hasn't turned out the way that you hoped it would turn out. And so day after day and year after year, you're suffering with this pain on the inside of you. Outwardly, you're going along doing what you ought to do, but inside the soul pain is there what's the name what's the name of your giant pain can you put a name on it because when you put the name on it you can begin to address it and in Jesus name you can begin to conquer it amen as I was preparing this message and reflecting on it, actually I prepared it uh, finished up preparing it uh, early part of this week and was thinking about all these series uh, this particular these four messages that we'll, we'll be looking at together and on Friday, I'd sort of laid it aside and really wasn't thinking about the message at all. But on Friday, I believe it was Friday afternoon, I can't remember exactly when it was on Friday, the Holy Spirit spoke to me and said this, I want you to give people a word this weekend. And in a flash, in a moment, as surely as I'm hearing my own voice right now, I heard the voice of the Holy Spirit. I didn't hear an audible voice, but I heard the prompting of the Holy Spirit inside my spirit saying, I want you to give my people a promise. Because, see, it's one thing to name your pain. It's another thing to know that you can come out of it. Amen? And what I've done today, I'm sure, is, for many of you, stirred up some stuff on the inside. It's not my purpose just to stir you up to make you miserable. It's to stir you up to give you hope. Amen? Know that whatever you're going through, there's, there's an answer for you. The reason these stories are in the Bible is because there's a good end to all these stories. See, we're not ending with all the bad news, there's always with God good news that comes after the bad news, amen? That whatever you go through in life, God can take and work in your life in a wonderful way and, and no matter how difficult it might be. And so God placed in my heart and my spirit as clearly as I'm standing here this morning a promise that I want you to hear, not from me today, but a promise from God that if you have now begun to identify your giant, if you know what the pain is in your life, I want you to hear the promise of God for you starting this weekend. It's recorded in Psalm chapter 40, verses 1 through 3. Let me read it for you. We'll say a few things 
about this and then we'll be done. The psalmist writes these words and said, I waited patiently for the Lord to help me and he turned to me and heard my cry. He lifted me out of the pit of despair, out of the mud and the mire. He set my feet on solid ground and steadied me as I walked along. He has given me a new song to sing, a hymn of praise to our God. Many will see what he has done and be amazed. They will put their trust in the Lord. Here's God's promise, I believe, to you today. If you have some soul pain in your life, you need to understand something, just keep waiting patiently on God because he hears your cry. Keep waiting patiently on God because he hears your cry. And the Bible says that David said, I was crying out to God and I was waiting patiently on God. God, I'm I'm in anguish. God, I'm feeling abandoned. God, I feel like Saul is abusing me. God, I'm going through a difficult time of disappointment in my life. I'm crying out to you, God, but I'm waiting patiently on you. And there was that moment in time when the Bible says that God turned toward David and he heard his cry and God Almighty reached down to David in his Lodabar, reached down and lifted him up out of the mud and the mud out of his despair and he placed his feet on a solid ground on solid rock and the Bible says that there in that moment something transformational happened in David's life instead of him continuing to live in pain and despair the Bible says he then had a new song in his mouth he had a hymn of praise to his God and people started seeing the guy who used to live in Lodabar singing praise to God and they were amazed at what had happened how did this happen how did this happen David how did it transpire why are you singing now Last week, I saw you, you were depressed. Last week, I saw you, you were discouraged. Last week, I saw you, you were living in despair. How are you praising God now? And David said, I'm praising him because God Almighty reached down and grabbed hold of me in my mud and in my mire, and he set me on a rock, and now I have a song of praise to sing, a hymn of praise, and the Bible says that people were amazed at what God, I'll tell you, folks will be amazed at what God can do in your life. When God works, you know, they're amazed. And the Bible says that many will put their trust in God. Folks, let me tell you, when God gets through with you, you're going to be a trophy that other people will look at and say, wow, how did that happen? You'll say, God did it. And they'll say, I want what you've got. Amen? I want what you've got. Now, I got a little excited a moment ago, but it's all right, all right? Because I don't want you to go out today feeling like it's all over for you. No, it's not over. I want to tell you something. Even though after 40 days, Goliath kept running his mouth, There came a day when David stepped up and said, I'm going to cut your head off. (laughs) Giant Goliath fell, and the same will be true for you. Next week, we're going to talk about how do you you recognize the impact of pain in your life? Because you need to understand what it's doing to you, because you'll never be motivated to deal with it until you really understand what it's doing to you. So our whole focus next week will be on understanding the impact of pain in your life and how to address it. But right now, let's bow our heads together in prayer. Heavenly Father, we're so very grateful this morning that you have given us your word. And in your word, you cover every human condition. And Lord, you care about soul pain in our lives. You care about the hurt that we have way down in our hearts. And I know today that there are people here in this place who have suffered abandonment, abuse, some who've suffered deep disappointments. And God, these times of life are very difficult to navigate, to kind of come out on the other side sometimes feeling like that we're still okay. But God, I'm praying today in the name of Jesus that even in this moment as we begin to name our pain, to identify where our soul pain is, that Lord, in the same moment you would grant us a sense of hope that we're not gonna stay there. 
And we lay claim to the promise today that you told us you're gonna reach down in us in the midst of our mud and mire and pull us up and set our feet on a rock and give us a firm place to stand, to give us a new song in our mouth, a hymn of praise to you, to, to see, Lord, have a testimony of our life to other people. And they'll be amazed at what you've done in us. So God, I thank you today that you give us hope, that you give us this expectation of healing. And Lord, I pray that you'll help us to name our pains so that we can slay that giant through the power of your Holy Spirit. For that, we thank you in Jesus' name. Well, perhaps as you've been watching today's broadcast, something's been happening inside of you. Maybe you felt a stirring in your heart, something that's reminded you that you need to get some things right in your life with God. The first way we start in that journey with God is to open our hearts to Jesus Christ, to make Him the Lord of our life, to turn all of our life over to Him. And that begins with a very simple prayer. I want to lead you in that prayer right now. It's a prayer that you can pray right where you are. Would you bow your head with me and pray this prayer? Say these words, say, Jesus, just acknowledge that He is Lord. Say, Jesus, I invite you into my life today to forgive me of all of my sins. I need you. I want you. I want you to take charge of my life. Be my Lord and Savior. In Jesus' name. Now, if you prayed that prayer with me just then, I want to encourage you with the promise of God's Word that says when we call on God's name, when we call on the name of His Son, Jesus, there's salvation that's brought to our lives. He changes us on the inside, from the inside out. And the Bible says that if any person's in Christ, he's a new creation. Old things pass away. Behold, all things become new. And that's what's happened to you today as you've opened your heart to Christ. Let me encourage you, you need to take some next steps. The next step is to make sure that you get into a good Bible-believing church where you're studying God's Word, to make sure you get a copy of God's Word and begin to read it, to spend some time each day in prayer. We have some resources available for you through our website. We'd love to provide those for you. Just let us know that you need those and we'll make sure that we get them into your hands. If you've prayed with a pastor today and made a decision to follow Jesus Christ, we have some resources for you on our website. Just go to www.church-redeemer.org slash newbeginnings. We pray that this message was a blessing to you.